Dennis. Mark. I'm bored. Really? Yeah. What can I do to help you? You could help me record a new disclaimer. Oh, God, those things kill me. Yeah, I'm bored of the old ones. Oh, they're awful. Let's, let's, what do we do that's fun? Uh, what do we do that's fun? We have a podcast, but we do need to tell everybody not to treat it as legal advice. Not whatsoever. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. I'm Mark. And I'm Dennis. And we're a hostile work environment. Yeah. The hostile work environment. The hostile work environment. The only one. The one and only. Podcast. Podcast, yes. How's your week been? My week's been pretty good. Yours? Very good. Very good. Lots of work. Lots, yeah. lots of rain this week, too. It it's been, been cold and rainy in Portland. It's been dreadful. It's, it's Portland and it's April. Yeah. So. But it sounds like a lot of the rest of the country has been that way, too. Yeah. We're probably better off than most of the country. I think that's probably Less right. Snow. What's, do you feel some weird presence? You know, I was going to say something. You know, we're in my office recording Studio B. Yeah. Today and I, you know, there's a lot of people around, but I, I kind of get the sense that someone's lurking. Yeah. All right. Come out of the closet. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Kate. Everybody. Hi. Kate, Kate Bischoff is on the Kate line. Kate Bischoff is back via the um, Skypes. Welcome to the hostile work environment, Kate. Thanks for joining us. Welcome Thanks. back. Welcome to the hostile back. work environment. <laughs> Was Kate like our very first guest? Second. Second guest. Second guest. Wow. Ah. And our, well, our first, repeat guest. first repeat guest. That's quite the honor. So we're I happy to have you here, handle. Kate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And since uh, this I'm, is just. I'm the, like you. Oh, yeah, unlike you that you're going to get, unlike you that getting a lot of rain, I'm about to get between six and 12 inches of snow in April. This late so in April. Yeah, this is really late. I mean, our patron saint, Prince, one sense, once said sometimes it snows in April, but this is getting ridiculous. You beat me to it. I was going to point that out. <laughs> Every time the weather's lousy in April, that song goes yes. through my mind from the yeah. Under the Cherry Moon soundtrack. Right. Um, and just to remind everybody that Kate is in Minneapolis. Yep. The home of his royal badness. Yes. Yes. So, so why is Kate kind of hanging out? Well, Kate really wanted to join us for a conversation about a case that's been in the news a lot lately. Okay. It is one that I think we... Stormy have, Daniels? Almost. It's related. <laughs> Tangentially. Okay. Well, I'd okay. love to talk about that one. We can well, talk about Stormy Daniels. Yeah, we Daniels. can talk about that too. <laughs> um, as we yeah. record this, you know, Michael Cohen's office just got raided and we found out the FBI has been monitoring his emails for the last several months. So there's lots going on there. Yeah. But this actually yeah, goes back to last October. Oh. And our listeners may remember there was a viral image all over the interwebs back in October of the presidential motorcade either going to or from some Trump-owned golf course in Northern Virginia and a solitary female bike rider 
being run off the road by the motorcade and flipping it the proverbial bird. Remember that? Yes, I do remember that. It was all over the place. And not very long after that, she got fired from her yeah, employer. Three yeah, three days later, she got fired. Yeah. And she had posted it both as the cover image for her Facebook and her Twitter pages, but neither of those identified who she worked for. And so when there, I think it was like a late night with Jimmy Fallon or something like that, she sent the video clip to her boss, who then very quickly after let her go. Yeah. (laughs) And the recent news on this case, and the reason we're talking about it six, seven months later, is she just sued her employer. And that's what we're here to talk about. And that's why Kate's joining us. Interesting. Well, so I've got a little interesting piece of just storytelling for for our listeners about this. So back when this happened was very close to when we were starting the podcast. Yeah, back in October. And we talked about including it on there. We actually thought we had for a minute until we went back and we couldn't find any place where we'd actually talked about it. But Dennis and I had a very long conversation about this off the air. A spirited debate. Spirited debate. um, (laughs) Where I was saying if, right, so part of the theory here in right around this is that her employer was a federal contractor. Right. And if as a federal contractor, they're firing her out of a fear that she, right, that they might get their federal contracts pulled. Um, Is that some sort of violation? Uh, First Amendment is what we were talking about then, right? Because that's effectively, theoretically, the government acting on someone's free speech. Right. Theoretically, like it didn't get there because mm-hmm. they didn't actually pull the contract. Right. And I think where we landed, and just as a reminder to everybody, private employers can lawfully fire people, usually, for their political speech. Absolutely. The First Amendment is a restraint on government action. It's not a restraint on private action. So while the government, a public employer, be it federal, state, city, township, what have you, they can't fire people for their political speech. Private employers can. And I was like, well, you know, she worked for a private employer and, yeah, they do some government work, but that doesn't make them the government. Well, things have really developed in this case. Right. She has filed a complaint with what I think is a really fascinating legal theory. Do tell. Yeah, this this legal theory is not directly that it's a violation of the First Amendment, but that it's that her termination is a violation of public policy. There's a public policy piece in it, and that individual public policy is actually the First Amendment in this case. And so it 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 is fascinating that she found a way to kind of shoehorn this First Amendment piece into the case, because if she was just using the First Amendment, she, her case would get thrown out right away because, again, private employers don't have or are not subject to the First Amendment. With I think there is like weird exceptions in California, but that's California and they're just odd. They're to do they have a statute them, right? that says political speech by employees is protected. protected. So. Right, we've talked about well, that before. Arguably, she's engaged in political speech. I mean, we're not questioning that flipping the president the bird is political speech, are we? I mean, we're pretty set that that is. Well, one can imagine that the in the moment when you're being passed by this giant motorcade 
And, you know, as somebody who bicycles frequently, I may have flipped off the occasional motorist myself. And as somebody who drives and is perturbed by bicyclists constantly, I know Mark has been flipped off by the occasional <laughs> bicyclist. And I know none of those actions were necessarily political. Fake news. Just just point that out. Fake right. News. I yeah. think I think um, by the fact that you're this a filthy is liar. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the fact that this is the presidential motorcade. I mean, she writes an op ed in The Washington Post that says, oh, yeah. you know, that this was a reflexive expression of my frustration with his mean spirited and narrow minded politics. Oh, totally so, true. Yeah. And so, the moment you take that photo of defiance, which in my pantheon of political defiance is up there with the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Yeah, no, it's it's iconic. <laughs> yeah. Or the old Swedish lady hitting the neo-Nazi with her purse. That's another yep. famous one. You know, those are like yeah, great yeah. expressions of one's political discontent. I think that is right up there. This is like Pulitzer Prize winning photography in my book. But when she takes that and makes it her Facebook profile pic, that right there is absolutely political speech. I agree. Yeah. I don't think there's any question here. So she engages in this political speech, and then they give her two reasons for letting her go. One is this fear of retaliation for pulling the government contracts, which I think is really fascinating given the second reason why she's let go, and that's for violating the social media policy. But there was someone who arguably had a more important role at the organization. She was a marketing analyst and this guy was a senior director of ops who had posted on, I think it's also Facebook and used some effing libtarb a-hole and he was not subject to the social media policy or at least he wasn't disciplined under that policy for saying that. But arguably that's in line with what the Trump administration would say they wouldn't pull a contract for somebody saying that. So it's her finger, which would be contrary. I mean, in this case, directly contrary to the Trump administration that instills that fear that they're going to pull contracts. That is really interesting. Now, they did make that guy who posted the libtard comment remove it. Yes. Yeah. Woo! Big <laughs> yeah, right? Like, why didn't they just go and say, can you just take that down off your Facebook page, please? Right. They chose there's, not there's to no, Yeah. There, if you, even if you knew her, I'm not sure that you could identify her from this picture because it's fully from behind. Oh, yeah, so totally. It's, it's only that her ownership of it on the Facebook and Twitter page and then admitting it to her boss that that's her, that, at, you know, she becomes known as to who it is. Actually. Right. Which I think is right there a great reminder. Never make your boss your Facebook friend. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah, no, I, I I did not friend my former boss until after I departed, after she departed. Good call. But um, lots of people did. Lots yeah. of people, right? Yeah. And lots of people, you know, were Facebook friends with their bosses and subordinates. And oh, yeah. Like, it's something that happens today. I mean, it's kind of hard to just put a lid on it, but it's not something I would probably do. And I would tell bosses and do tell bosses, don't Facebook friend your subordinates because your subordinates then might post something that would reveal something about them that a boss should not take into consideration in doing things like discipline or performance evals or things you can't unsee. Yeah. Right. 
Well, and I, I guess I come at this as a little bit more freewheeling, saying, noting that there are lots of risks of friending your subordinates or friending your bosses, but that it may be an integral part of your culture that you are all connected and that it may be all family. And so it's up to each individual organization as to what direction they give, because I've worked with organizations that are super duper tight. Mm. And when they're creating, you know, handbooks or we're doing policy training or anything like that, you can tell that their interconnectedness is part of their strengths. And so to tell them, hey, don't connect, that would be like telling them to cut off a hand or something like that, because it's so important to their organization. I think supervisors and employees need to know the risks of if you are going to be doing this, your boss or other people could see it and that could hurt you. And so I use this kind of crazy rule of thumb um, that comes in part from my grandmother. She is 91 years old and she has a Facebook page and she used to type like in the comment sections if she liked your picture instead of putting <laughs> the like button. Yeah. Um, and I once with a group of girlfriends went to see Taylor Swift and for the first time ever, literally first time ever, I wore red lipstick. And my grandmother called me and said, you look like a prostitute. Well, that should be my rule is, is my grandma going to like this post? And so when I'm talking to students, I like, think about what your aunt, your uncle, your godmother, you know, an adult that you've grown up with, if they would like your post or think that that post is okay, then maybe you can post it. But if you have any hesitation as to whether or not they would like it, then don't post it because if 97% of recruiters are looking at social media posts, and according to the Job Byte survey, 67% of recruiters have declined someone after looking at their social media, then you better know that everybody's looking at it, include not only recruiters, but your current employer and future employers. So you should be aware of that. But I think in today's culture, we are much more interconnected. And so we should keep in mind the risks of being that interconnected. But I, I'm, I can't go as far as you guys as just telling people that you shouldn't do it. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and and I, I think that's, that's, that's wise stuff. And my last gig before I went back to private practice was for a, a large healthcare system. And we had a drug-free workplace policy, yet we operated in several states where marijuana is legal. And Mm -hmm. my daily practice involved dealing with some employee who would get a job on Monday, friend their boss on Tuesday, worked all, you know, friend all of their coworkers the rest of the week, and then Friday night hit the marijuana store and post about it on Facebook. Oh, my, my favorite was somebody who they didn't act, they, they they checked in to the dispensary, you know, the check-in <laughs> feature on Facebook, took a picture of the weed and the bong they bought, and then posted, gonna have a good time tonight. Which I'm glad they did, because they didn't have a good time Monday morning when they got fired. <laughs> Yeah, enjoy it while you can. Yeah. So so my whole take on Facebook may be skewed towards the don't side just because of that. Yeah, it depends on the workplace. It depends on on the responsibility of the parties involved. It depends on all, you know, right. maturity levels. It depends on a whole host of factors. Generally speaking, 
but I advise against it, but certainly. Our whole advice aside, because, you know, we don't give legal advice on this show, so nobody's going to do what we say. Um, In fact, you should do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Like, friend everybody. <laughs> and post pictures of your weed. It's a great idea. So anyway, but can employers really police what their employees do on social media to that degree? Say, oh, you can't say anything bad about about Trump or you can't say anything bad about Diane Feinstein, you know, just to be as political about. speech. As political <laughs> speech. So I mean here's well, here's a sorry, yeah, go ahead, Kate. Well, you're you're on here. There, you go. There are two there are two things to that. One, there already are tools to do that. Um and I don't recommend anybody buy those tools. And two, I'm and tools to, to do just what, Kate? I'm like to monitor your employee social media. Like you can set up so that there are tools out there that you can do monitoring. I think that's ridiculous and silly and it can get you into a lot more trouble because what if the tool misses the, Hey, my boss grabbed my boob today. Um, Then by simply having the tool, you knew or should have known that that post went up and because the tool didn't catch it. Now do you have, are you failing to take timely and appropriate action because you missed that post? Ouch. So that putting that one aside, the second one comes from my dear friend, Heather Bussing in California, who makes the statement that employers find out about bad social media posts just as fast as employees run to the cafeteria for free pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's a great line because employees run for free pizza. I mean, I still run for free pizza. So, so, I don't think employers need to monitor social media for bad posts. I think if there is a bad post, you're going to find out about it. And in Julie Briskman's case, she told her boss, but someone else was going to tell somebody else at her employer that she had posted this and that this was on her new cover. It's somehow it would have gotten there. And in every case where I'm dealing with social media, it's, another employee brought it forward and we learned about it and then we had to take some kind of action based upon it. So I don't think you need to use the tools and I don't think you need to monitor it because you're going to find out about it. Because even though you, there is the advice that you shouldn't connect with others at the workplace, the statistics on actually being connected are really, really high. I think the last time Pew Internet Research looked at it, it was like, I think it was 2016, which is a couple of years ago. So this is kind of old numbers, but it was like 58% of people are connected with coworkers on Facebook. That's wow. still huge. Yeah. And so if huge. you, so if you were, con- if you were connected to a coworker and you wrote something stupid about, you know, I, my boss is an a-hole, you know, that's going to come back to the employer. Pretty yeah, just because you locked it down to friends doesn't mean they can't print it out. Exactly. Or show somebody. Oh, well, totally. And that's what I tell yeah, and that's what I tell everybody. Please, please, if you're going to, um, if somebody brings that to you, the first thing you should do is hit print because as soon as you talk to the poster, they're going to go delete it. Oh, so totally. You the evidence. So. And which is why I tell people, if you're going to call your boss an a-hole, you do it on Snapchat. Yeah, then it disappears after <laughs> yeah. 10 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you can still take pictures of snaps. Yeah, I know. But you you got to be on the ball. You signal. (laughs) So I've got a question. I want to go back to uh, Ms. Briskman's legal theory here, right? We talked about public policy, right, Kate? Mm Mm-hmm. So 
Is that a theory to kind of back end apply the First Amendment to private employers universally? I don't think so. And here's why. Akima, the employer in this case, is a federal contractor. They have lots and lots of federal contracts. And I think we're going to be stuck in that one of that first cases we learned in torts in law school, the Paul's graph case. Remember the train and something <laughs> Long Island like Railroad, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the different chains of causation. Here is pretty close to the fear of retaliation of taking these federal contracts. They're, they're a company that relies almost entirely on federal contracts. If that gets pulled, sure. If it is the company that just happens to have a couple federal contracts and they're afraid they're going to lose the contracts, but they don't rely solely on that, I think there could be an analysis of, well, is that fear rational? Now, I could be wrong. Is that kind of like a, like a foreseeability it, analysis? Yeah, kind of like a foreseeability. It, was this reasonably foreseeable? The other piece, though, is that courts are loath to be, quote unquote, super HR departments and second guess employers reasoning, right? Right, true. But if, but if there is this, well, you wouldn't shut down if the government clo- took your contracts. I think there is some reasonableness in that stated reason for termination that might come up here. Does that, does that make sense? So do you think a company that has more federal contracts will have a better defense against this than a company that has less or is it vice versa? I think it's vice versa. I yeah. think if you if you have very little federal contracts, you're like, well, you know, you're not looking so good for the Trump organization because you're social media. I'm going to let you go. I think that's less of a reasonable decision. But if it's we rely entirely on federal contracts, then I think that is a reasonable fear. So I, except I'm not I might sure. see I might take the other position because what they're saying here is that is I I read the the complaint before we came on today and the the theory that she's advancing is this idea that my employer was afraid that the government would retaliate if the government retaliated because of my free speech that would actually be unlawful so if that's why they fired me is the fear that the government would do something unlawful by retaliating against my speech that violates Virginia's wrongful discharge law because that's a matter of public that, policy as a matter of public policy is an infringement on my free speech. It's kind of a back way to get that first amendment protection in the private arena. But see, I think if a employer who doesn't have federal contracts or one who just said, we don't like your political speech and fired her, I think they'd be pretty safe. At least yeah. this theory would not support yeah. that. So I think the farther no, from the government you are, the more you can fire your employees for speech. I agree. I agree. This is fascinating. Speech. It's like a whole new area here. Oh, totally. Conceptually to wrap your head around. Yeah. And it's kind of fun because Mark and I were trying to come up with ways that this person could sue and drew a blank. But, you know, 
Well, or I came up with ways and Dennis shot me down rightfully. Whatever. <laughs> but, you know, she found a lawyer who's apparently smarter than either of us and is now off to the races. Yeah, not hard. But she's got another claim. She does, doesn't yeah. she? She does. She, she's bringing two claims. You know what the other one is? It, it's breach I of contract. Am. Apparently, as I read the complaint... They offered her the opportunity to resign, not get fired, and told her that they'd pay her four weeks of severance pay if she quit. She quit, and they only gave her two weeks' pay. So she's suing them for breach of a severance agreement, seeking two weeks of pay. That's okay, just well, dumb. Let's, let's slow down on that one just a little bit. She goes, she goes on to... You know, the Washington Post, she gets quoted in other places. She's got even a marketing video for this case where she says she gets fired. But so she gets the two weeks because she said she got fired. But now she's claiming that she resigned. And so she should have gotten four weeks. Like, is, is the characterization of the termination a question here? Because she has gone on and said that she actually was fired instead of quitting? Maybe she violated that agreement. Maybe she's the yeah. wrongdoer. Um, now, of course, for the purposes of her other claim, the wrongful discharge claim, she's claiming it's a constructive discharge. And it was, ob you know, from everything that has been said on both sides here, it really does look like she was, she quit in lieu of termination, which most of us agree is a form of termination. Um, but if I'm the employer there, Am I really going to be that penny wise and pound for right. Why don't you just pay the four weeks and then that's just not there? <laughs> and get a complete well, and full release. And get your release, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd pay her six months and stay out of the media. Well, the real brilliance of this second claim is that it's going to survive whatever motion to dismiss motion exists in Virginia. Whereas the first one, this public policy, that is a legal question that could be subject to a motion to dismiss. She could lose that case on a motion to dismiss, but because she has this second claim, the lawsuit may still survive. Yeah. So, you know, she's got, she could, I mean, she really wants to win on this first claim, right? She really wants to get past a motion to dismiss and so that she can advance this idea that public policy in Virginia protects her First Amendment speech. Right. But that that claim is at real risk for a motion to dismiss whether they bring one i don't know but that's a legal argument that's right for a motion to dismiss whereas the second one it's going to get past a motion to dismiss and so she at least is going to get past the first hurdle in a lawsuit either way indeed in any event we're going to keep an eye on this case and we'll come back here and there with some updates and we'll see what happens I owe one of our listeners a little bit of an apology. Oh, yeah. That's not like you. No, I usually don't <laughs> apologize for anything. Um, but this time I will. As one of our listeners, her name's Jasmine, she's a wonderful person, has pointed out to us on Twitter, we've been picking a lot on her home state of Alabama. Oh, that is, I mean. Oh, I know. 
are jazzy. And yeah, yeah. Picking on it, Alabama. I and miss that Twitter exchange somehow. Yeah, uh, we don't. Sorry, Jasmine. We don't mean to pick on Alabama. We like Alabama. We've got no issue with Alabama, mainly because it's a source of really great material you know, employment law cases. Yeah. So we love Alabama. But there is a state that we hate with a passion. Oh. Ooh. We hate the state of Wyoming. That is true. <laughs> and Mark, why is that? So I, I, funny, because so, so Dennis did not preview what we were going to talk about in the segment. And I had planned to bring this up in our third segment today. So might as well just get oh, out of the way now. Get it out now. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's 50 states in the union, mm-hmm. right? There's several hundred countries that exist and, in the world. Yes. And we have downloads from many of them. In fact, and most. In fact, most. And this week alone, <laughs> we have 35 downloads from Zambia. Zambia, people. Okay. Zambia. Oh, Just this week. That's one of my favorite countries. Have yeah. you been there? I've lived there. That's yeah. right. Oh you, were, you were in uh, Harare. Am I remembering that right? No, not Zimbabwe. Oh, I got my capitals no, wrong. The capital of Zambia. I love Zambia. Maybe you're the link. Maybe they Maybe found that's out you why. were on before. Well, we're, we're going to be in any event, Zambia you know, after this episode. Totally. Where we're not huge is Wyoming, where right. it's the only state we have zero downloads from. Not a single not listener one. in Wyoming. We have plenty in Alaska, plenty in North Dakota. Yeah. We even have a few in Iowa. We have right? some in Puerto Rico. Not even a state. Right. Guam. Not even a state. Right. French Polynesia we have downloaded. Not even America. <laughs> what was that, Kate? Not even a state with full power. <laughs> <laughs> the District of Columbia downloads us like mad. Tons We're of DC downloads. DC. Tons but of them. Wyoming is just like flat zero. Crickets, tumbleweeds. So do you have a Wyoming case? Yeah. We're going to rag on Wyoming. It's for you, Jazzy. So (laughs) we I just found out a a whole bunch of interesting stuff, some of it about Wyoming and some of it just about our federal government. This last month, March 21st, a federal district court in Casper, Wyoming, found that the Wyoming Military Department discriminated against former employee Amanda Dykes by subjecting her to sexual, sexual, I can't say that word, sex harassment. And they have a military department? Her. Yeah. Wyoming, Wyoming has, has a, a military, military They department. have their own military? It's called the Wyoming National Guard. Oh, it's a National Guard. Oh. But they have like the Wyoming National Guard and a whole bunch of other stuff all under the Wyoming Military Department. That's what they call it. Kate, does, does Minnesota have a military department? I'm confident we do not. And I'm but, wondering if that's their well-regulated militia. It could be. You need to. So so there's there's a couple interesting things about the Wyoming Military Department. One, they go by the acronym WMD. No. Yes. That's they're the WMD. And they have the most awesome website ever. Really? I highly recommend just when you're done listening to the podcast, go to Google, type in Wyoming Military Department. I'm kind of surprised that this exists at all because I'm kind of surprised that there's anybody in Wyoming because we have no downloads. Right. But they're too busy <laughs> defending ourselves. Well, no, defending themselves from like Colorado and Utah. Right, like, And all both of them. Yeah. They're defending themselves. Yeah, yeah. Picture, 
The first picture is a guy throwing a grenade. I know. Isn't that awesome? Who is he throwing the grenade at? Cows? Montana? That's it. The Montanans are going to invade Wyoming and they have to be prepared. Okay, now I'm pulling this up on my laptop while we're talking. Oh, look at that. You're so right. Yeah. Mark, what's the address? Oh, it's W-Y, sorry, it's wyomilitary.wyo.gov. So wyomilitary.wyo.gov. Um, and there's scrolling pictures. You guys could subscribe. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. They're 148 years old. Yeah. Sesquicentennial coming up soon. When was the last time you heard of Wyoming being invaded? They're effective. (laughs) I mean, they're like undefeated. Think about it. Wyoming. Never Never invaded. invaded. Never never conquered. Well, you know, the Native Americans that lived there were. But, you know, in any event, one of the things that the WND runs is the Wyoming Youth Challenge Program. And that's where our plaintiff, Ms. Dykes, worked. Her boss, a guy by the name of Don Smith, subjected her to persistent unwelcome conduct. Wait, to so the youth challenge? Sorry. I just like, are they like arming children? I, I, I'm a little unsure whether the youth challenge program is like the Boy Scout wing of the WMD where they like give them perhaps smaller hand grenades to throw or whether it's one of those programs where you take your at-risk youth, maybe they engaged in too much cow tipping, and they send them to like a boot camp environment to scare them straight. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. And I'd ask one of our listeners to inform us, but we know none of them know. Maybe, well, maybe somebody who listens maybe has been to Wyoming and knows. I mean, I've been to Wyoming once. So have I. Three times, times. maybe. Yeah. But not enough to know. Right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Continue on with our sexual so harassment her story. boss subjected her to this unwelcome conduct. What was it, you may ask? Poems. <laughs> songs. And emails professing his affection. Sonnets. So the guy sang songs to her? Yeah, the guy sang songs. Like campfire oh, that songs. Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. Yeah. So I can understand why that would be a hostile work environment for her. But she reported this to her supervisors who didn't do squat about it. And the songs and the poems and his professions of his affection and love continued to the point that she decided she was going to quit her job. She then turned around and sued. It is, an, it is a completely unexciting sex harassment case. It's like super <laughs> low-level stuff. That, She's claiming constructive discharge? Yeah. Right? And I actually, from what I could tell... Probably one of the weaker constructive discharge cases I've ever seen get by. Why do you Oh, it got by. It it survived. It survived, and a district court ordered WMD to pay $221,000 to Dykes for the salary and benefits she lost as a result of the constructive discharge. Huh. So I found it noteworthy, not because of what actually happened, or even the really weak constructive discharge case you know, that's probably going to be appealed and, in my humble opinion, likely to be overturned. What I thought was interesting about this case was two things. One, Wyoming. 
we've, course. We've kind of beat that dead horse into the ground. But two, this is the first case that was obtained through a prosecution from the Department of Justice. The plaintiff here was actually the EEOC, represented by the U.S. Department of Justice. And it is part of the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division's Sex Harassment in the Workplace Initiative, which was just launched last year. So for those of us who have missed it, the DOJ has this thing called the Sexual Harassment in the Workplace Project, also known as SHWE, (laughs) where the DOJ is taking it on to enforce Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the law that protects against discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, and religion, and as part of sex, sex harassment. They're going to be bringing more and more enforcement actions against employers for Title VII violations. They've announced such things as a lawsuit against the city of Houston, Texas for sex discrimination against female firefighters, for example. They're all about sex harassment, and this is the first case that they brought to a successful prosecution, probably because Wyoming. This may well, and but this is part of it. They're more interested in prosecuting cases in areas that don't have a robust plaintiff's bar ah. who are already bringing these cases on behalf of victims of sex harassment in the workplace. So you're going to see more of it in places like Wyoming, Alaska, Alaska, Texas, North Dakota, places not okay. known for probably not Alabama. Maybe not Alabama. No, I don't, I don't know. Probably Alabama. I was just trying to make Alabama not be part of it. I'm not as familiar with the Alabama plaintiff's bar, but I know somebody who will enlighten us. In any event. Well, I, I have questions, though. Fire away, Kate. Does this mean that you could now, if the EEOC found probable cause, you could now either get sued by the EEOC or the DOJ? So that yes. there's potentially two different places that could bring the suit? And my other question is, is the DOJ going to limit this only to public sector employers where it has more of, and I hate to use this word because I don't think it's accurate, but jurisdiction than the EEOC going after private employers? Yeah, I was wondering about that. That is a good question. And to answer the um, second half of the question, Kate, the initiative focuses on state and local government employers. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Um, In the Wyoming case that we talked about, that was a case that was initially brought by the EEOC, which is how it predates the Shui program, which only began late Mm -hmm. last year. But apparently the EEOC turned prosecution over to the DOJ when it was getting ready for trial. Well, this seems like it's duplicative efforts and a lot more taxpayer money being spent on something. And this is from a blue person in a purple state. So that seems weird to me. I totally get it. I want every woman and every individual who has been suffered, who suffered harassment to do something about it. And so I'm, if this woman, you know, was successful, I'm happy for her because if, you know, I, again, it's my nightmare to be sung to. 
So I can understand why she would feel that this was harassment. And I can see why, even though it's relatively low level, it might jump the bar. But to have both the DOJ and the EEOC involved in that seems like they're way overlapping what they should be doing. Shouldn't the DOJ be doing its job? It sounds like the EEOC, and I've actually litigated a case against the EEOC, um, and it was a different field office, but I would have to say that they were not experienced litigators. And maybe this was a case where the EEOC just felt like they were over their heads and turned it over to the DOJ, maybe because as part of the shui, I just want to say shui, um, <laughs> as part of the shui, maybe the DOJ had better resources to take the case. Maybe, maybe. And I'm, I'm assuming that the EEOC might not even have a field office in Wyoming. They don't. They be. had to go through the Denver yeah. field office. Maybe that's another part yeah. of it. Could be. In any event, we all got to watch out for Shui, especially if we are city or state employers. Cool. Fascinating. Thank you, Dennis. You're welcome. And Wyoming, we're waiting to hear from you. Yeah, we'll we'll have a little party if and we ever get a download. Yeah, but, it, but if you are somebody from Wyoming who listens to this, send us an email and let us know. At stories, stories at hwepodcast.com or tweet at us at hwepodcast. Yeah, we want to know. We want to we want to celebrate you when and if this ever happens. And what we really, really want is for somebody from Wyoming to redeem the state entirely by becoming a patron. How do they do that, Mark? They can go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash hwe. And when we actually get a patron from Wyoming, Mark and I will learn and sing on a future broadcast the Wyoming State song. But not to Kate, apparently. Not to Kate. No, who I would... think it to me. No. Or the <laughs> University of Wyoming fight song, whichever one we find catchier. We're putting it out there, Wyoming. Your move. We're all over it. Anyway, Kate, as always... It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. We can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me. I love listening to you guys. And so to be able to and be involved in the highbrow discourse that you have is just <laughs> thrilling. See, I told you that people think we're classy. <laughs> I think she's being sarcastic. No, she's totally serious. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you, take care, Kate. We'll have you on again, I'm sure. Well, it was great to have Kate on, wasn't it? She is hilarious and great to have on podcast and fun and awesome. Yeah. And our first repeat guest. First repeat guest. That, that's got like some sort of Hall of Fame space written all over it. Yeah. First repeat guest. Um, I have a story today. Oh, good. Because I think we skipped this last week. We did. Our episode ran a little long, but we've yeah. got time today for a short one. Okay. And as a reminder to our listeners... We rely on you guys for these stories. We're not like sitting around making this stuff up. We, we let you guys tell the stories. So if you've got a great workplace story, which we know you do. Because you to, tell us that you do. Yeah. We get people who are like, oh, my God, I've got the best story ever. And, and then, then we they never don't hear send from them, them to us. Well, we're calling you out. We're going to start right. using names pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to start calling you all Wyoming. Yeah. 
like you saw what we did to Wyoming. If you don't want that to be you, put pen to paper today. Send us your stories. Email them, stories at hwepodcast.com. If you can't type, write it out. And then scan it and email it to HWE Podcast. Right. Because the alternative here, because we're going to run out of stories very soon, is I'm going to make Dennis sing. Yeah. No one wants that. And yeah. So. All right. Here's our story. Um, this is titled. Oh, I like good. how, how our it's contributor gave, gave it a title. Um, but has he done anything illegal? Oh, I love it already. I once worked for a mid-sized organization with a bullying problem. Ironically, the chief bully was a member of the executive leadership team. Let's call him Joe. Joe. That Joe. Son of a... Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah? Yeah, Joe. Joe. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Joe was known to publicly humiliate people who showed up late to meetings, make them dance or sing, <laughs> or otherwise ridicule themselves in front of their peers. Otherwise known as what Dennis and I do to each other every time we record. Right. Um, he was also known to play mind games, pitting employees against each other. Once telling someone, go into that meeting and make Jane look like a complete idiot. That'll teach her a lesson. Wow. He was widely known for the way he belittled people, micromanaged people, and yelled at people, sometimes without provocation. Our CEO had a long-held open-door policy. But Joe had threatened his employees with claims that they would be blacklisted if they ever went directly to the CEO with any <laughs> concerns. That's super cool. Totally um, cool. I'm really liking Joe. Yeah, sounds like our kind of guy. Yeah. Um, sounds like the kind of guy that like pays my mortgage. Right. Yes. Um, so and then Joe mandated that everything had to go through him. Of course, this was not on the CEO's radar until dot, dot, dot. Yes. We implemented an internal suggestion box. <laughs> Almost immediately, anonymous comments started pouring in, denouncing Joe's leadership behavior. Unfortunately, our CEO didn't put much stake in these comments on the basis that they were anonymous and therefore not valuable. I'm not sure I agree with that, but yeah. yeah. No. Uh, she believed people should be direct and open if they wanted their feedback taken seriously. Ironically, she was herself a former attorney. That comes into play in a minute. Hmm. However, these suggestions were publicly shared on our internal website so people could see the comments. This must have given folks some courage as HR shortly started receiving comments from people who went directly to them with complaints of being belittled, made to sing, dance, yelled at, etc. <laughs> I want to know what they had to sing. Yeah, right? I'm a little teapot. Stairway to heaven. Right. I smells mean, like teen spirit. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Kind of in an awesome way. This is not going to be good. Yeah. No. Uh, to my heart. I can't do it full throated. Yeah. Well, it's hard. We're in an office building. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a little teapot short and stout. You are actually. Yes. Um, to my horror. Our CHRO's response, that would be a churro. Yes. Chief Human Resource Officer. At my old gig, we called them crows. Crows. Uh, with our general counsel in the room was, yeah, but has Joe done anything illegal? Am I crazy? <laughs> or should companies be handling things like this before something illegal happens? What's your take? We were in a right-to-work state, just FYI. 
what actions might you suggest for a junior HR person, as I was at the time, who runs into this kind of issue? By the way, it's been several years, and Joe is still working at the company. Nice. Oh, Joe. So I think this raises a really great issue for us to dig into a little bit. And that is at what point in somebody's descent into completely asinine behavior should we step in and put a stop to it? Right. I mean, it's. Is it like early on or do you wait until there's a lawsuit? Do you wait until there's a criminal charge? I mean, what's the trigger for like enough is enough? So I think there's a couple of different factors because I don't think the answer is the same for everybody. Right. Maybe not. Certainly if it crosses a legal line. Yeah. yeah. You should probably. You should probably. probably get on it. If it gets close to a legal line, you should probably. Yeah. Get on that. The rest is going to be up to your culture. Like, like Kate extent. was pointing out with Facebook, we're right. all different in that. So we're all different a little bit in that regard. Um, now, I would generally be counseling a little more civility and and not doing things that kind of speak to a bullying or hazing mentality like this, right, which is clearly a power trip. Yeah. And he spent know, too much time at his frat house back in his college to days. have this kind of information come up as soon as i heard that as an as an hr professional i would have probably stepped in to do something about it right away yeah, probably. unless that chro is scared of him which may well be the case right? since just, this guy's like the big cheese right or just one step down from the the big cheese so right does hr report to this individual like those are questions that I'd be curious to know that my right, but in a in a vacuum, right? If assuming yeah. HR feels confident to do their job, you know, and if this HR, is over that line for me, yeah. certainly. And if they do report to that individual, guess what? You've got a CEO, you've got a board of directors, you've always got somebody that you can go to, and oftentimes it is your obligation to go to to say, "Look, we've got a problem." Right. I also think about the frog and the boiling pot of water kind of analogy oh, totally. here, right? Which I actually did some looking at recently. Yeah. It's totally not what happens with frogs and boiling pots of water. Oh. Like it's totally made up. But assuming that it were accurate, right, is this the sort of situation? If somebody comes in and they're that off the wall to begin with, right, you're going to be like throwing the frog into the boiling pot of water. Yeah. It jumps right back out. And you're going to be like, whoa, 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 stop. Like this isn't cool. Or it makes frog soup. Or it makes frog soup. Okay. Yeah. Frogs are very sensitive. Yes. Okay. Oh. They don't have thick skin. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Or, you know, the frogs in there, you turn up the heat really slowly. Frog doesn't even notice. It's just a warm bath. Right. In this case, it would be he comes in and he's totally normal at the start. And then there's like one small thing and another small thing and another small thing. And you don't even realize that these things have accumulated until it's almost too late. Yeah. Right. And that's the one I'd actually be more worried about. Like this is actually like this is just this one feels more like just like if you're making people dance and sing as punishment. Right. And or yelling at them or telling other people to go and yell at people for like to embarrass them. Like to me, that's got potential for Lawsuit written all over it if there's protected classes oh, or other totally. things involved with it. But even just as a civility measure, like, is that the kind of environment you want to have? For me, that's yeah. almost always going to be a no. But there's behavior that leads up to that that's going to be very cultural, 
kind of dependent for your company. And yeah. you need to figure out where that line is, but don't let whoever's doing it gradually get way yeah. past that point um, well, by then, allowing certain behaviors to go on for a while and then letting them just get past the point where they're not okay anymore because it's been so gradual and nobody even notices. And something we forget is that by allowing that to go on and reach that point, you haven't done the, you haven't done Joe any favors either. No, because you, what happens you is haven't set standards. Joe goes unchecked for years until he reaches a point where all of a sudden, like, oh, we got to do something about Joe, and now Joe's going to get fired. Right now, Joe should still know better. Joe might know better, but if if they're not consistent with your company culture, what you want your company culture to be. Tell him early on and say, like, you know, hey, Joe, when you made Sally get up on the on the table and sing that song from Cabaret, that was really not that cool. That's not the kind of company we want to be. Right. Unless Sally was on Broadway in Cabaret. Right. Which is, you know, totally then it's different. totally fine. Um, so anyway, that's my thought. Yeah. But it's an interesting story. And, and yeah, it's a good story. I like it. Good set of questions. Yeah. So thank so you. Keep if them you coming. have something like that, and we please know send you it do. to us. You're sitting on it. Now's the time to get off it. Stories at HWE Podcast, or it's just going to be Dennis serenading you. Yes. Okay. In his very white voice. Yes. 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 And on that note, have a good week. We'll see you next Monday. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> They've moved my desk four times already this year and I used to be over by the window and I could see the squirrels and they were married